1: Wednesday edition, PFT Live, PFT PM, hiatus style. Plenty of things to discuss in the NFL, even though training camps still aren't open. I saw a tweet earlier today of Ben Rothsberger showing up, not in La Trobe, in Pittsburgh. Remember, they're not going back to St. Vincent College this year. The NFL wouldn't allow it, but the Cowboys and the Steelers and the Buccaneers opening up this week. Next week, everyone else, there will be more and more news. But even with the vast majority of the NFL still in hibernation, There's plenty of news. And let's begin with Tom Brady, the Buccaneers quarterback yesterday at the White House. A couple of funny lines, a couple of jokes. I'm not going to talk about that, though. We've already written about it, and there really isn't much more to say other than he may need to hire a slightly better team of writers. The the jokes were good, not great. I'd give him maybe a 7.5 out of 10. Could have done better. Should have farmed that out to someone other than whoever he farmed it out to. That said, he had a a town hall recently with Jim Gray. It looks more like a fireside chat with a crappy gas log over his shoulder. A lot of topics that Brady discussed during that. Now that town hall goes live later today, I believe, but some things that we've written about at PFT. uh, First of all, on the topic of who the unnamed mother effer was, remember the comment from the shop a few weeks back that there was a team that Was interested and backed out late in the 2020 free agency process. And Brady's reaction was, You're sticking with that mother bleeper. Brady says that that's something he uses for private motivation. He's not going to make it public. Never mind the fact that he's already made it public. He's stopping short of making the names involved public. But he says they know who they are. And there's been so much speculation about who it is. And, And I knew Brady was never going to actually address it I'm glad he was asked the question because I thought there was a chance that he ultimately would never be so we now know that he knows and the team knows and the mother bleeper knows and Brady's not going to say anything more about it as we expected another thing Brady discusses in that session with Jim Gray the possibility of playing beyond the age of 45 now earlier this week there were quotes from Alex Guerrero Tom Brady's personal trainer TB12 that Brady's got two more seasons. Brady himself has said I've got two more seasons, but Brady made it clear that once he gets to that point, once he finishes the season during which he ch- he, he will turn 45 and he'll be 44 as of August 3 this year. So my math skills good enough to tell me that next year at this time he'll be turning 45 and of that season supposedly end of his career. He says he'll evaluate where he is at that point and make a decision. But if he can still play at a championship level and it fits with his overall life obligations, he could keep playing. And we can't rule out, frankly, the possibility of Brady going somewhere else after the 2022 season. You can't rule it out. He said before, I've got two years on my contract with the Buccaneers. I'm going to play two more years. He talked about, going back to Foxborough, and he said, this is probably the last time I'll play there. Well, it's definitely the last time, unless you're going to change teams, because the Buccaneers won't be back there for several more years. So yeah, it's it's definitely the last time he's going to play in Foxborough, unless after the 2022 season, Tom Brady decides to pick another spot and try to win a Super Bowl with a third franchise, which would Not be surprising if he pulled it off, but it would make his historic career even more historic and likely unmatchable by anyone for however long the NFL happens to hang around. So don't be surprised if he keeps playing beyond 2022. And I'll add to that, don't be stunned if at the end of the day, he decides, maybe I'll give another team a spin. Maybe there's another team out there that will be more stacked and clearly in need of him to come in there and shake things up and do what he managed to do last year in his first season with the Buccaneers. All right. I I saw that Cowboys owner, future owner, he's got a bunch of titles. Steven Jones, the son of Jerry Jones, said that the biggest mistake they've made as a front office was not signing quarterback Dak Prescott sooner. And he's right. He's absolutely right. I'm just glad he admits it. So many times there's something that's obvious, but ego, pride, whatever prevents people from saying what, what everyone else knows. And, and maybe that's why Stephen Jones said it because everyone else knows. Now, I doubt that Jerry Jones would say it. Jerry Jones would say, we did this at the right time. This, it's I, a lame impersonation. I'm not, I was kind of half trying to and not really trying to because I knew it would sound more like Ross Perot. But regardless, Jerry would say, we did this at the right time. We did everything just right. This was exactly what we planned to do. No. And and this is the message to all other teams out there. This is the flip side of the Carson Wentz, Jared Goff cautionary tale. You don't want to give a guy a big contract after three seasons at the quarterback position when maybe you're not 100% sold that he's the guy. On the other side, when you are 100% sold that he is the guy, you don't want to screw around, especially if he wasn't a first-round pick. That's what made it even worse for the Cowboys. On the plus side, they got four years of Dak Prescott at bargain basement prices. But with only four years to free agency, which meant franchise tag last year, second franchise tag this year, maximum leverage for Dak Prescott, because next year he would have gotten a 44% raise over this year's ridiculously high franchise tag salary. They, They had to do that deal. And because they didn't swoop in, the moment the window opens, and remember, the window opens upon completion of the third regular season, not third postseason or third full year, you don't have to wait until the start of the league year in March, the minute the gun sounds to end the last game of the player's third regular season, if it's a drafted player, any round, that's when you can go in and sign him to a new contract. And I've said time and again, they should have had a package ready to go. And you still got playoff games to cap your third season. You still got injury risk. You've got one more year of your contract. You don't know what's going to happen with your career. If they were sold on him then, that's when they should have swooped in. And you know what? Maybe they weren't completely sold on him. then. Maybe they wanted to see what he'd do in a contract year. And then maybe they wanted to see how it would go in his franchise tag year, even though he broke his ankle in week five. I I don't know if they were 100% sold, but based upon the contract they've given him, based upon the fact that last year they used the exclusive level of the franchise tag, it tells me they were sold. So the point is this, for as far as we're concerned right now, the Browns and Baker Mayfield, the Bills and Josh Allen, the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. If the team is sold, then buy that guy's contract rights well beyond today. If you're, if you're not quite sure, then you let it play out. You're taking the risk. For example, Baker Mayfield has an MVP year. Maybe the Browns aren't 100% sold. Maybe they want to see what he does this year. Will he regress like he did in 2019? Or will he go to the next level? Like we saw him do in the second half of 2020. If they wait and he goes up, price goes up. That's the risk. Now, for the Browns, I'd say, based upon what I've seen, wait a year. For the Ravens, I wouldn't wait. I wouldn't wait. I know some people are not completely sold on Lamar Jackson as a total package quarterback. I think some of that may have something to do with the offense they run. But the Ravens have completely reconfigured their offense for Lamar Jackson. They're sold on this guy. Don't wait. Josh Allen and the Bills, do not wait. I talked about that a week or so ago. I think they're playing with fire, frankly, if they wait on Josh Allen's contract because his value is only going to go up and up and up. Now is the time to making an offer he won't refuse. And that's the lesson to be learned from what Stephen Jones has admitted about the Cowboys failure once they knew that Dak was their guy to get that deal done. Because look, once you know that's what you want to do, every day you wait, it's only going to get more expensive. It's only going to be more complicated. Because the closer the guy gets to the open market, the more leverage he acquires, the harder it's going to be to convince him to not at that point, roll the dice and see what happens. That's what Dak Prescott had as a practical matter. He had one more year with the Cowboys. And after that, a ticket to the open market with no restrictions from the Cowboys. And they needed to offer him something that would get him to trade that in. And it took a huge contract to do it because they waited as long as they did. Deion Sanders, Hall of Famer, making news as the head coach at Jackson State University. It, it was almost comical yesterday, the idea that he chastised a reporter for calling him Dion and not calling him coach. Well, look, Dion claimed, because I've never referred to him as coach now. And I, I think many others will do the same. He claimed that no one calls Nick Saban, Nick. The reality is they do. And, and think of the interviews you've heard over the years, how, players refer to coaches, they refer to them as their first name, they'll refer to them as their last name, they'll refer to them as their nickname. That's just the way it is. And I think the younger the coach, the easier it is that that happens. But for Dion, it's a matter, I think, of basic respect, respecting your elders, and I've earned this or whatever the case may be. I also think there's something deeper going on because the question was posed by a reporter from the Clarion Ledger on the same day that another reporter from the Clarion Ledger, was, according to the Clarion Ledger, banned from covering the Southwest Athletic Conference Media Day where Dion spoke because Dion wasn't happy with a story that that reporter had posted about some off field issues involving a four star recruit from Dallas, the biggest recruit Jackson State's ever gotten. Dion wasn't happy with that. That reporter was shunned. And I think the other reporter who dared call Dion Dion was. Uh, called out, I think in part because Dion was looking to pick a fight with someone from the Clarion Ledger because he doesn't like the fact that they wrote a story he didn't like. Well, hey, Dion, you better get used to that. You're going to get bad publicity. And you make it worse by retaliating against the people who are the conduits for the bad news. What do you expect them to do? Brush it under the rug? I know what happens in some college towns, but responsible reporters will not do that. Responsible coaches will not retaliate because, at the end of the day, time honored Maxim, when it comes to dealing with the media, don't pick a fight with a guy who buys his ink by the truckload. You won't win that fight over the long term because they're not going anywhere. And there may be a time where things aren't going well and fans are getting upset and people are calling for your job and you'd prefer to have those folks on your side. That's just the way it works. So, Hopefully Dion learns a lesson from that. Speaking of Nick Saban, the guy who is called Nick from time to time. I continue to be fascinated by his position on the decision of the Miami Dolphins in March, 2006 to not sign Drew Brees. He talked about it again yesterday. And as we get farther and farther removed from 2006, The story becomes more and more specific on this point. One, Drew Brees wanted to come to Miami. Two, I, Nick Saban, wanted Drew Brees in Miami. Three, somebody else, specifically a doctor, kept me from signing Drew Brees. And now four, this is the news that that Saban broke with his most recent comments. Once we didn't get Drew Brees, I decided I'm getting out of here. We're not going to be able to win without a quarterback. We were nine and seven. And on the brink of the playoffs, without a good quarterback, we get Drew Brees, we go over the top. And the moment we didn't get Drew Brees, I realized this isn't for me. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I think what Nick Saban wants to do, he wants to rectify his failed NFL head coaching career with the very basic and simple argument, if they had just listened to me and signed Drew Brees, we would have become the team since 2006 that the Saints became. Now, my first problem with that is it really undermines the work that Sean Payton did as coach of the Saints to get the most out of Drew Brees. Brees was part of it. Payton was part of it. If Brees goes to Miami and plays for Saban, who's a defensive coach, who's going to get the most out of Drew Brees? Is it going to work in Miami the way it worked in New Orleans? Saban just wants to assume that Drew Brees, wherever he would have landed as of 2006, is gonna unlock all of these achievements and performances that that made him one of the great quarterbacks of all time. I, I don't know that it's automatic. Now, now maybe it would have happened everywhere else, but I think we can't underestimate the contribution to Brees' career that came from Sean Payton and how those two together created a magical outcome that, that caused sustained success in New Orleans pretty much constantly since 2006 with the exception of 2012 the bounty gate year and then the effort to rebuild the defense after the bounty gate year they were still competitive offensively even when their defense was horrible once the defense caught up you see what they've done every year since 2017 2017 18 19 20 great teams in the regular season and but for bad calls bad breaks bad whatever may have been back to another super bowl and and, and that doesn't mean the Dolphins would have become that and that Saban would have been happy in Miami and would have been content to stay there year after year. I think that in lieu of going back to the NFL and proving that he could thrive at that level, he just wants people to conclude, oh, Nick would have been good. Nick would have won a Super Bowl." He doesn't have to go back and win one. Enough people are going to believe Nick would have won one. But my other concern is this. And, and it's, it's funny to me that, you know, Nick Saban, a guy who always has to control all aspects of a football program, is willing to create the impression that he really didn't control the Miami Dolphins when we all know that he did. The idea that one doctor said, we can't sign Drew Brees, and that Nick Saban didn't have the power or the ability to overcome that doctor's opinion tells me that Nick Saban agreed with him. Because if Nick Saban wanted Drew Brees there, Drew Brees would have been there. Nick Saban said yesterday that Dr. James Andrews, who performed the operation on Drew Brees shoulder, said that he should be fine. Okay. If you've got some sort of an internal thing, and you don't inherently have the power to tell the doctor who said we can't sign Drew Brees, sit down and shut up. You're not paid for your opinions on personnel matters. We'll go forward. Thank you for your medical advice. But we know what we're doing. If he isn't able to do that, at a minimum, what you do is You go to Wayne Huizenga, who was the owner of the team at the time, and you bring Dr. James Andrews to Miami, and you have Andrews explain to Huizenga why Andrews thinks that Breeze will be fine. Because whoever the doctor is that said no, chances are Wayne Huizenga is going to listen to Dr. James Andrews and say yes. And at the end of the day, I don't think there's any dispute. Huizenga is the ultimate authority. And if you throw on top of it, Saban's position. Assuming that what he said yesterday is true, that when they didn't sign Breeze, that's when he decided I'm getting out of here. Well, if Saban had said to Wayne Huizenga, look, Wayne, I feel very strongly about this. We need Drew Breeze. I'm willing to take the risk. James Andrews tells me he's going to be fine. And let me tell you this, if we don't get Drew Breeze, I'm leaving after this year. This is it for me. I mean, if Wayne Huizenga knew that, of course, he's going to sign Drew Brees. Of course, it's going to happen. Because they still got a quarterback. They traded a second-round pick for Dante Culpepper. They decided to take the guy who was coming off of the serious knee injury and give up a second-round pick over the guy who was coming off of the shoulder injury, serious, but still rehabbing just like Culpepper was. They could have had Breeze for no second-round pick. He was a free agent. They made that decision. And the idea that Nick Saban was just a bystander while somebody else controlled the decision I reject that. It goes against everything we've ever known about Nick Saban. He's not going to take that. If he wants Breeze, he's getting Breeze. And people ask, why do you keep talking about it? Because Saban keeps talking about it. And the problem is, no one's in a position to call him out about it at Alabama because they don't care. It's 15 years ago. But as long as he keeps talking about it, I'm going to be here to scrutinize what he has to say and, and give you, the audience, the real truth. And the real truth is, Saban could have had Breeze, and I think Saban still would have left Miami anyway, possibly after the 2006 season when Alabama came calling because, of course, I'm not going to be the Alabama coach, which is what Saban said a few days before taking the job. Last point before I look and see if there's any good questions today. I don't know if there are or there aren't. I've been reluctant to write anything about Cole Beasley's return to Twitter yesterday responding to tweets, making an offer that he'll get vaccinated if Pfizer donates a percentage of whatever money it's making from the vaccine to his wife. Mark Cuban had a response to that. Beasley's been picking other fights or at least engaging in debates on Twitter. I, I And, and I, don't, I don't want to continue to give the guy a platform for a position that I believe substantively is incorrect. I believe everyone should be vaccinated. I believe the only way we're going to get past this pandemic is for all people to get vaccinated and, and to care not just about themselves, like, hey, COVID's not gonna make me sick, COVID's not gonna kill me, I'm young, I'm healthy, I'm fine, I'm worried about this vaccine. Well, but you could pass COVID to somebody else. I mean, we've been down this road for the past 15 months. I, I think there's a dividing line here between the people who only care about themselves and the people who care about everyone around them and who, the people who care about us collectively getting past this. I think that's the bright line here. But with Beasley, the point I want to make today is I'm starting to wonder if he almost wants to set himself up as a version of Colin Kaepernick, where maybe he senses that the Bills aren't real happy about this and maybe he's in jeopardy of being cut and maybe he just wants to be. Maybe he's going to go all in with it. Fine, cut me. And if no one else signs me, then then I'm the anti-vax version of Colin Kaepernick, and he becomes a Fox News superstar. Although Fox News, at least some of the hosts, starting to sing a different tune about vaccinations. I, I just I feel like Beasley has something else going on here. It just seems like unless he's completely reckless. And no one's explained to him, you know, if you keep tweeting this stuff, it's really going to affect your ability to make the final roster in Buffalo. Uh, Unless he's just careless and hasn't made the connection and no one's tried to advise him on it and he can't help himself. If there's a strategy at play, it almost feels like his strategy is, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and be a distraction. I'm going to be disruptive. I know they're going to cut me anyway. Go ahead and cut me and I'll move on to something else. And I'll become for the right, and I hate that it's a political issue, but I'll become for the right when it comes to vaccines, what Colin Kaepernick became for the left. Neither of those should be political issues, but the reality in today's America is everything, some way, somehow becomes a tool for recruiting and or preaching to the choir. Let's see if the choir has any good questions for today. Stephen Monk, Any chance the NFL goes to a neutral warm weather site for the conference championships, that way they could go to the President's Day Super Bowl and lessen the chances of a mid-February Ice Bowl situation. I I don't see the NFL ever doing it. I've never heard any credible discussion about neutral site conference championships. It's part of the home field advantage that you play all season for. It's part of what the team that earns home field for the conference championship game has worked for. And it gives that team an, an, an advantage now, does it put you the best team in the Super Bowl? Maybe not. But the team that has earned the right to host that game has earned the advantage that comes from hosting that game. So I don't see that happening. Uh, CJ Newman, interesting question. What NFL player or person have you spoken with that made you think, wow, the voice does not match the physical appearance. For me, it's Calais Campbell. A lot of other people didn't expect Patrick Mahomes to sound like Kermit the Frog either. I'd have to think about that. There isn't one that's jumping out at me. Maybe there's one that I've forgotten about where when you hear the voice, it's shocking and it's not what you expected. I don't know. I'd have to think that through. There isn't one that's just, I've been carrying around in my back pocket. Yeah. I can't believe this guy talks like that, but, uh, I'm sure there's been somebody over the years where I've said, wow, that's a surprise that, that that's the voice that's coming out of that human being. All right. Um, Daniel Kunamoto, if Lamar Jackson signs an attractive contract extension without an agent, will there be more players lined up to start doing what he's doing? I don't think so. I think that most players understand innately that, The 100% that they get on their own is less than the 98, 97, 99% that they get if they have an agent. And there's so many other things an agent will do to help a player guide his way through his NFL career. Richard Sherman and Russell Okung really tried to start the trend a few years ago, and they they were very vocal about it. It's one thing to say, this is what's right for me. It's another thing to say, this is what's right for me. And it's also what's right for you. And that's what Sherman and Okum tried to get started. I think plenty of guys understand it's better for them to have help. And what's going to happen is the relationships between players and agents will now be created and nurtured at the college level through the name, image, and likeness deals. And that is, is what will, in many situations, just become the natural precursor to the NFL contract. So by the time the player's heading to the NFL, he already would, would have been working with an agent, and it's going to be a lot easier for him at that point to say, I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble.
1: Jason Jones with the NHL expansion draft tonight for the Seattle Kraken, which two cities will get an NFL team next? And what will expansion draft protection list look like? I have no idea how the NFL would handle an expansion draft. It's different every time. The priority that the new teams get in the pecking order for the draft of incoming college players is different all the time. But, you know, I've always said the teams that have had successful franchises in the past are teams are cities that we should look for St. Louis and San Diego, The St. Louis lawsuit probably will sour the NFL on putting a team back there. However, we have to consider the possibility that a settlement of the St. Louis lawsuit could result in some sort of a wink-nod commitment that if and when the NFL expands, St. Louis will get a team. I, I think we have to at least ponder that possibility because remember, when the Browns, announced their intent to leave Cleveland for Baltimore. And there was some saber rattling about litigation. The end result was Cleveland gets a team, a new team an expansion team that will be the Browns. That wasn't what Art Modell wanted to do. He wanted to take the Browns to Baltimore and make them the Baltimore Browns. And Cleveland would have been left high and dry. Cleveland ended up getting the commitment that by 1999, the Browns would be back with an expansion team. So I don't know that that works in St. Louis because staying cranky, is on the hook financially for whatever the fallout is of this litigation. But I'm sure that Kroenke, instead of writing a huge check to make the case go away, would love to go to the NFL and say, why don't we just promise these people a team? And, uh, and then it won't cost me quite as much to make this lawsuit go away. Uh, let's see what else we have here. A question from Idano 40 when was the last time you watched an old Chris Farley SNL skit? That question's asked because I used a Chris Farley GIF from when he's uh, the motivational speaker. It's go time. I can't remember when I last watched one. I think the last one I watched was the 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 the, the uh, lay off me, I'm starving, which always makes me laugh. But everything that he did was hilarious. I know the last Chris Farley thing that I actually watched was his entrance for a David Letterman interview. If you haven't seen that, go to YouTube and get it. It's magical, it's memorable, and it will make you start sweating. The amount of activity that you see from Chris Farley in that minute or two before he makes it from the back door to the theater, up to the stage. I think he takes somebody out and throws them into a dumpster along the way, but there's a cartwheel involved, or at least something that looks like a cartwheel, but uh, that's fun to watch. Uh, let's see what else here. We should probably, we should probably cut this off soon. Question from yesterday at Milmost with Cam Akers Achilles injury. The Rams are in the market for a running back to help fill the void, which free agent running back is the best fit for their system. And don't say Todd Gurley because he's even more washed up now than he was when the Rams let him go two years ago. You know, the Rams after Gurley, and after that knee injury dating back to college, after that knee started to affect him. Remember, it was late in the 2018 season, a year after he was the NFL's Offensive Player of the Year. The Rams, once they moved on from Gurley, pivoted to the 49ers model of having three running backs who could come in and and do the job. Cam Akers developed throughout the course of last season as the best of the bunch. Now, look, their plan is to go next man up. Now, I think they'll backfill with a young player, but they're going to hope the guys on the roster can can do what they've already been practicing to do in that new offense with Matthew Stafford there as quarterback. I, I, I think that at some point, you know, you could see a trade. You could see the signing of an Adrian Peterson or a Frank Gore. I, there's no way Todd Gurley will be back with the Rams. I don't think he'll want to go back. And I don't think Sean McVay is going to want him back, but it's a huge issue. Whatever the Rams do, it's not going to be as good as it would have been with a healthy cam Akers Cause I think he was on, Track to have a huge season. He would have been one of my breakout players for 2021. And now that's, that's a huge impact for a team that is in such a good division. That is a huge impact on their ability to win the NFC West and position themselves to get farther than they did last year with Jared Goff at quarterback. This year with Matthew Stafford, they're gonna need somebody at running back to balance things out and make the Rams as good as they can be. All right, that's as good as we can do for today. We'll be back tomorrow with another hiatus edition of PFT Live and PFT PM. Sources close to me tell me that at some point, possibly Sims will be joining me for one of these, which good news, bad news, I don't know. The only way to find out is to tune in if and when it happens. But every day, every weekday, even with the Olympics starting, we'll have some fresh video content for you training camps opening exciting time for the nfl stay with us every step of the way at profootballtalk.com and we'll see you back here again tomorrow
0: the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well